scary ghosts, creepy serial killers, all things that go bump in the night. Enjoy the view from the open shutters. <laughs> Hi, Creepsters. I'm Barry Marino. I'm Philip Landry. And I'm Bob Ray. And this is, and welcome to another episode of Open Shutters of Creepy Podcast. And we're doing, uh, we're trying, we're doing all kinds of new stuff tech now, technically. Isn't that right, Bob? It is. Anyway, um, this week is the second part of John Wayne Gacy. And what are we calling this episode? The Killer Clown? Sounds good to me. The Killer Clown Part 2. The Killer Clown Part 2. But before, yes. you got just some kind of weird look on your face. I am so glad this isn't going on video. Because you guys would not believe what we look like right now. <laughs> Philip in the closet looks better than anything. <laughs> Bob is like all behind all this new... Uh, recording equipment we got, and I'm upstairs in bed. Believe it or not, I am recording from my bed. Lucky him, right? <laughs> and you would see, you would see my pillows and everything. So, um, how's everything going? How's everything going with you, Philip? Oh my God, I've been on antibiotics the last week. Oh no, we're okay. I'm getting better. Some oh stupid. man, the diabetic issues. I know. Well, you know, uh, tomorrow is my birthday. I know. Happy birthday. I officially go from middle age to a senior. That's right. You get discounts. I get all the discounts. All of them. Each and every one. Yeah, but my life is about my quality of life is actually getting better. There is definitely an advantage to getting old, to living this long. You know what? Even if they don't have a discount, you just should demand a discount at this yeah. point. Yeah. Please but you don't know give them no funny. more ideas. As you could see, you see in the picture, I dyed the beard again. So people stopped opening doors for me. But whenever I let the kid go completely <laughs> gray, people open doors for me. They let me ahead in line at the grocery store. If I have a couple of things, sir, why don't you go ahead and line? I got all this stuff, and you just got this little bit of stuff. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Sonny. <laughs> all of a whippersnapper and all kinds of good stuff. So, um, but yeah, well, I, well, y'all been watching you. I got, I got, I was why I watched something this week that was really kind of disturbing. And we also went to see a movie last night. We're gonna talk about that in a minute too. Uh, but I watched a, a movie on. Um, I actually had the. I bought it for ten bucks on. On. I don't know if it was Hulu or Amazon Prime. One of them, but it was called "The Most Beautiful Boy in the World," and it was a story of this of this actor named um, Beyond Anderson, the Swedish actor. That's how you pronounce it. And Beyond B J O O B J O N. Bihan, Bihan, that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Bihan Anderson, in 1971, hit starred in the movie with Dirk Bogard called Death in Venice. And Dirk Bogard played an aging composer 
who becomes obsessed with this teenage boy. And it was from a novel by uh, Thomas Mann, I believe it was, yeah. And uh, who was the director in it? This, this guy he was an Italian director. And I, I gotta Google his ass. Google his ass. That sounds kind of obscene, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> we expect nothing left from you. Oh, stop. His name is, uh, <laughs> let me see, it's probably an Italian name, but I'm not going to be able to. Lucio Visconti. Lucio Visconti, a famous Italian director. And well, they, he, uh, huh? I said, okay. you, got the, you got the pronunciation fairly well. I got the pronunciation, yeah. So anyway, uh, he, he did a big old, you know, a, a, a search, a big old cattle call looking for the perfect person to play this boy. And he found him in Beyond. And uh, Beyond was like this really cute, blonde-haired boy, you know, and he was only 15 years old. And he turned out, it, 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 it's the way his life turned out. And you know who he was. You saw, We just saw him in the movie recently. Oh, yeah. In the, in he the, was the old man that gets, that jumps off the, the cliff in Midsummer. So he's like, the, the you know, you look at, can you th think of that old man was, at one time was the most beautiful boy in the world? And the way this boy was exploited and how bad his life turned out. And he had, uh, oh, God, he had, he, he, he had alcohol and drug problems. And he and, and, and a, a one tragedy after another. We had tragedy before he did this movie. His mom was bipolar and and suffered from depression. And she went into the woods and killed herself when he was 10 years old. And they oh, didn't wow. find her body for like two years. Oh, shit. And um, so he had that. And then after when he was an adult... He had he, he he got into drugs and drinking and he, he got so drunk one day and he was supposed to be watching the children, and I believe it was a ten month old baby died laying right on the bed next to him of SIDS, some infant death syndrome, really really tragic and it's just yeah. I don't know it's almost like a the old poor old man's being exploited all over again the way they made this movie because it's very disturbing and very depressing. So. I don't know how, if I would recommend it, if people were sensitive, it was very sad. It, it left me feeling really sad. Wow. So I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not sure if I would recommend it. It's a good, you know, if, if you're interested in finding out what happens to this actor and everything, yeah. But it's it's not, you know, it's not satisfying at all. Anyway, what have you been watching, Philip? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to be excited for the next several weeks. FX and FX on Hulu. We got What We Do in the Shadows is back. Yes, it is. It like last week, but uh, this week, they, you know, they have an episode every week. I love me some, some vampire mockumentary. <laughs> and, <laughs> and another then, one, huh, is coming back. Did and then that? American Horror Stories is back. Not yes. Horror Stories. Horror stories. Do you and know Bob has never seen American Horror Story? I'm not gonna spoil anything, but uh all I want to say is the first episode titled Dollhouse. It's set in the South, 
and okay. it's given it is magnificent it is given me everything that american horror story used to be like, like oh the first, do you well, i gotta do i gotta do a little binge with our co-host because he's I almost with a, i mean it's great as a single episode but i almost wished it would have been a whole season somehow <laughs> like straight it was that good it was oh that wow good. And then that last year they did like a half a season and then another half a season. Okay, that's on the story. This is the stories. The regular oh, story. Oh, that was that's right. That was American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, this we're one they, yeah, yeah, this one that's right. They're all standing alone like Twilight Zone. Kind of like Twilight Zone or Tales from the Crypt or oh, thing Alfred like Hitchcock presents, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, yes. But in Dollhouse was an excellent start to this season. So, and Bob, you were starting to watch for the Levy's book, right? That's what you tried to get. I was to. actually getting ready to start to watch it before we started the podcast today. So, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Well, you're going to be able to tell us what you think of that next week. That I will. Uh, I have a little problem watching that. I got a bad post traumatic stress when I do. And, and anyway, that's completely understandable. So, we went to see a movie last night. We did. Tell us about that, Bob. Tell us about the movie. Well, we went to see Where the Crawdads... Oh, Lord. Where the Crawdads Sing. Have you um, seen that yet, Philip? No, I haven't been able to get to go to movies as much. I can't get my damn partner to take me. Oh, oh you would like this movie. I think he really would. I probably would. It, it was all filmed in Louisiana. And like Barry just said, it was filmed here in South Louisiana. Uh, a lot in uh, this area here around the Marshlands, uh, Southeast St. Hamity Parish, out Chalmette, in those areas. So, you will be able, it will, I'm sure it's going to be on HBO Max or, um, well, no, I might be able to get him to go. Universal will probably be on Peacock. We're going to start going back to the movies. We're just getting settled in the house. Yeah. So we really enjoyed it. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to give you any spoilers. I don't want to give the audience any spoilers. The movie we may want to cover in the future. And also, we have another project works in the fire. I'm going to let Bob tell you about that. It's a new uh, podcast. We do. We're having a new podcast starting up. It's going to be <coughs> a New Orleans-based podcast where we talk about local events, local places, Things off the beaten path for natives and visitors alike, where when they come in, they can listen to our podcast and know what events are going on here in town, around the southeast Louisiana area especially. We're not going to focus just on New Orleans, but say St. Hamney, Tangibahoe, down in Washington, up in Washington Parish, down in St. Bernard, Plaquemines, all over the metro area. Uh, we're also going to be interviewing local uh, celebrities. In Ooh. the theater, in the mm -hmm. movie industry, chefs, which, yeah, I've started, by the way, I've gotten a job. Lord have mercy. <laughs> yes, that's right. He's got a job now. He's, he's working as a chef in the restaurant. Yes, I am. Uh, in the food industry in New Orleans, and I do not recommend it to anyone. <laughs> do you want to plug your restaurant? Not yet. Okay. All right. That's up to uh, you. I'm not going to plug it until I got permission to. That's yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I actually, will say this. If you're in New Orleans, 
Come on down to the middle point of Canal Street and you'll find a wonderful breakfast restaurant open Tuesdays through Sundays from 8 to 2. <laughs> wow. So. I'm trying to get this off. Oh, and he's having technical <laughs> issues. It looks I'm like. having a technical issue. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Testicle I think issues. we all are. <laughs> okay, I have two obits today. Just okay, what to, are they? Uh, well, first one is uh, a, a woman by actress uh, Rebecca Bald, Balding, as you know, like losing your hair, Balding. Uh, she died. She was uh, on Charmed and Soap. She died at the age of seventy-three. She was known for her roles. I said in the ABC sitcom Charm and the WD fantasy drama, uh, uh, the ABC sitcom Soap. Excuse me. And the WV fantasy drama Charm. She died at 73 from ovarian cancer. Mm. Um, and uh, she began her career in Chicago on the stage, studying acting at the University of Kansas. She was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, and, and for around three decades, she guest-starred on dozens of soaps. Now, her big break when she played Carol David in 19 episodes of Soap from 1978 to 1980. She was the, the mother of Jody's, Jody Dallas's uh, child. And, um, and then she also played Elsie Rothman, Alyssa Milano's boss in Charm, from 1998 to 2006. So anyway, rest in peace, Rebecca Baldwin. And the second yes. one is someone that we've all been seeing throughout the years. He's a character actor that did mostly Westerns and always played these rough and gruff characters. His name is uh, L.Q. Jones. And you would recognize him if you saw him. He's a uh, scruffy, long-haired, gray-haired man. And he was one of the most in-demand character actors of his generation. He died at the age of 94. He was cast in a lot of Westerns and war movies, and it was, in which his easygoing Texas drawl often concealed a streak of violence. Uh, this brought him to the attention of director Sam, Sam Peckinpah, and he became he became part of his stock company, and one of his uh, his his big roles was in the Wild Bunch, a nineteen did the nineteen sixty nine classic. He also played uh, other movies uh, that he was in, include which I have to scroll to see this. <laughs> Don't you love technology? The Naked and the Dead, Anthony Mann's Men in War. And he did uh, a lot of uh, Western 50s Westerns, and, uh, and uh, he had a continuing part in The Virginian from 1962 to 1971, 25 episodes over eight seasons. He was, his first Western movie was Elvis Presley's Love Me Tender, and he worked with Presley again in Fading Star and Stay Away Joe. And his second Western was Bud Bochner's Buchanan Rides Again in 1958. And then, uh, along with Randolph Scott, and then he was cast again in Cinderella. So, Phil, what time is it? You know what time it is. What it's time horoscope is it? time. Oh it's my. horoscope time. It's horoscope time. 
Philip is so sublime. It's horoscope time. I'm not even going to sneak into that. Yay! Oh, hey. shut up. Okay. <laughs> I really wanted to be interactive tonight. Uh, so what's happening tonight is break out the makeup, break out the body modifications, break out whatever's going on, because we're putting y'all all into clown face. Oh, clown face. And after I describe the facial features of each sign as a clown, I want one of y'all or both of y'all to give the clown a name. Okay? Does it have oh. to be a current clown name? Can you do that? Can you do that, Rob? Can you do that, Barry? Yes. We'll give it a try. Okay. Yes. Oh, we can go back and forth. So we'll start with Rob. You get well. You're gonna get to do this one first. For okay. all the areas out here, let me describe y'all face. It's gonna be a crimson base, foundation, cat eye contacts, black lips, a key charm dangling from a nose ring, and scratches on the temples. Ooh. Ooh. What would you oh. name clown, Rob? It's an Aries. Aries. But what would you name the clown? Oh my, I'm not good at this. <laughs> oh. Got a name for the clown that looks like that? I don't even know if I even want to picture this. <laughs> oh, terrifying. I'm making the stuff of nightmares. Oh, there, trust me, there's far worse ones on this list. Oh. oh. All right. Oh, I should be on this one. Y'all yeah. can't, can't name it. Well, then we'll just we'll move along. I won't make y'all force y'all to do that. Y'all just oh, like, we appreciate. Oh, I want to name the next one. Uh, Taurus. Okay, okay. Well, Taurus. This is what Tauruses are going to look like in clown face. A turquoise base foundation, red, oh. bright red contacts, white oh. crest under the eyes, deep oh, purple, and an ombre striped forehead. Um, you you really got a name for that, Barry? Ginger. Be <laughs> a <laughs> fucking ginger. Really could be. <laughs> ginger the clown. Ginger the clown. Which ginger. Ginger. But she's red, so it's ginger. Huh? She's red, right? Mostly crimson. You said. No, that was the Aries. Ah, oh, see, he's one behind. This week, <laughs> this week was turquoise. Okay, what about um, Araz as a Gemini? Aquaraz. <laughs> Let me talk about what Geminis are going to look like. They're going to have a half, half of their face is going to be painted black, half of it's going to be painted white foundation. They're going to oh, have <laughs> What did you say? Two-faced. They're going to have gray freckles everywhere, cognac amber eye contacts, duct tape over the mouth, and, oh an my outline, God. and a very harsh outline drawn along along the hairline and all the way down around the chin. Where do you, you come up with this? Yeah. I'm creating the stuff it? of nightmares. You y'all. are a very sick man. <laughs> and bizarre. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. You got a name for that one? 
Oh, God. You are very sick, man. Oh, so the muted monochrome. <laughs> monochrome. Well, now that we're on the birthday boy, let's give him what he's going to look oh, like. Oh, me. All the cancers, including our birthday boy, Barry, you're going to have an iridescent curl base, Ooh. stormy gray <laughs> eyes, actually with the stormy eye makeup as well, over-accentuated pink lips, rosy cheeks, <laughs> and an azure blue mole on the chin. Oh, my God. I dated that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm the one who sent him your way. It was it was a drunken night and it was a dry spell. Come on, uh, <laughs> which drag queen was that? <laughs> I don't know, but I I tell you, I had this boy that I was taken to one of the balls, one of the carnival balls, and I thought, and he says, okay, he says, I thought he, he says, meet me at the bar, so I was meeting him at the bar. And I thought he was going to be dressed as so I walked in and I saw this really horrible looking drag queen in this mama dress, mama <laughs> a prom mama prom dress with a you know really awful hair you know, and everything like that. I'm like, oh my god, I feel sorry for whoever's taking that drag queen out. It was my date. Oh no! It was Daniel. It was my date. <laughs> I had to be seen with him looking like that. I mean, I said, why did you just wear a tux? Because, oh, this was so much easier. And this is my sister's prom dress. Well, he was from North Carolina. Now we know. I, I said, okay, it was a North Carolina prom dress. So. <laughs> okay. So what are y'all naming this cancer clown, really? Okay. Well, his name Barry. was Daniel. Da Dan Daniel. <laughs> Dan I just Daniel. call it floozy boozy the clown. Floozy Bluesy's that good. Yeah, because he was Bluesy, kind of a floozy. Bluesy. He was kind of a floozy. He put out on the first date. Oh. And not only with me. Oh, everyone. And, and not only with me, he put out on every day. I mean, you did, all you had to do was buy him a drink. And oh, you, shit. And he put out. <laughs> well, slut well, City. Honey, the biggest slut. You think the Lance is bad, huh? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, y'all better get ready for the Jaws factor of this next one. Leo, that's oh, a nice. silver base. And this is you, Run, huh? Runny mascara streaks. This is him as well. Yeah, this is Rob. Shark-like teeth, yellow grimacing lips, and a white unibrow with a barbell piercing. Well, mine is the shark-like shark teeth. You got Curtis? Oh, <laughs> Oh, oh God. I'm glad he doesn't listen. Because <laughs> wow. every time I have the podcast well, on one, in the car, listener. every time I got the podcast on in the car, he goes, oh, let me listen. Oh, you don't want to see hear this. Because there's usually something about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, would you like to name that since that's your sign? I, I like Curtis. I mean, it fits. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a Leo. Yep. Oh, God. Well, then we'll just call it Fucky the Clown, okay? <laughs> Fucky the Clown? Stinky yes, the I Clown? Wasn't, wasn't that his clown name, Fucky the Clown? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. Shit. All right. Well, talking about things that I want to remember. Virgo. Virgo. Oh. 
And I kind of, kind of, this was definitely inspired by the American Horror Stories last night. Cracked porcelain doll mask, bulging icy blue eyes, blood running from the left nostril hole, ringlet curls framing the face, and a black veil covering the right side. Why don't we just call that chilling with blue? <laughs> 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 oh, so yes, I went there. See us. <laughs> Damn, Philip was speechless. <laughs> I was trying to be eighty. Philip, <laughs> Philip knows exactly who I'm talking about. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh, we could say chilling with poop. <laughs> oh Lord. I got lost. So chilling is going to be the name of that clown. Chilling. Yeah, I I can't see anybody. Can y'all see me? Yes. Okay, the cat is literally trying to get in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to get out. I know. Wait, launch soon here. Libra has a pale stone based foundation, black circles around the eyes. Droopy sad lips painted, rhinestone tears on the outer corners of the eye, and a classic red clown nose. Oh, my dear. That's Libra. Y'all got a name for that? Oh, my. Did no. you date before? <laughs> uh, I mean, Barry's around the block a time or two, so he may know yeah, her. There were a few dates. Uh, Y'all could see me <laughs> and hear me? Yes. yes. I can't see. I can hear y'all, but I can't see y'all. Then you're okay. fine. What would you name that clown? Wait, we describe that one more time. I, I, okay, I, let me I describe Libra again. Okay, a pale stone-colored base, black okay. circles around the eyes, droopy sad lips, rhinestone tears on the outer corners of the eye, and a classic red clown nose. Well... That looks like Jennifer's first drag show. So, <laughs> and she used the name Angela Michaels. So, so that's it. Angela. <laughs> Angela. <laughs> and her list, huh? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Scorpio. This is me and my, my fellow Scorpios. Oh, this is you. Midnight Blue Base. Mm. Charcoal horns protruding from the forehead, oh razor insect mandibles that retract from the mouth, sharp glowing oh. eyes, and then a forked tongue tattooed jet black. Oh, that is some serious. I think I dated that guy too. Who I, I, you I, dated? I particularly remember the forked tongue. <laughs> Oh my! That was the best part. I bet you really do. <laughs> okay, that's a little disturbing considering this is I'm reading my sign and, and you're getting turned on by yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What would you name this? What would you name this one? Oh. What would we name this one? Oh. Fork you too. <laughs> or we could just call it salt and pepper. Sometimes you gotta lick it before you. Sit. No, I'm joking. 
salt and pepper. <laughs> Real good, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know what? I forked tongue could go with put two different people. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, I wasn't trying to be obvious on Sagittarius who I was referencing, and it's not oh. my partner referencing. I'm referencing somebody you probably know. So it's full white face makeup with a paint chip texture, thin penciled eyebrows, a tiny heart drawn on the lip area, triple chains draped from ear to nose piercings, and a large jewel over the third eye. That sounds like a punk rock Betty Davis. Hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> But if you look at just like the first three things on there, the well, she's got a chain, chest, right? We can call a baby. We can call a baby chain. <laughs> baby <laughs> chains. I baby like chain. it. Baby <laughs> chain. That works. That and that totally works. Considering the the actual uh, performer and queen that had inspired this, I'll go with baby chain. That's perfect. Oh, <laughs> Capricorn. Very simple. I don't know. Lance. I don't have a whole lot of description and it doesn't need a whole lot of description. No, this is reputation precedes him. But it is going to be highly detailed. It's full highly detailed skull face makeup all the way even down to the neck and beyond and blacked out eyes. What, no purple, Lance. green, and red? No, just <laughs> detailed skull face makeup. Oh. I mean, maybe he used some like glow in the dark. So when you turn off, like turn off the lights, the bones glow. I don't know. Oh my! All oh glow. dear! Oh, I don't we want that bone to be glowing. <laughs> yeah. I don't so you got, got a name for that one? Oh geez, that's very. Uh... Oh, I can't think of anything. Can you think of anything? Bones. <laughs> Bones. We'll just call it skeletation. Oh, we'll call it. Well, you know, we'll call it. Call it Boniva. That's Boniva. Boniva. <laughs> Boniva. Okay. Boniva the clown. Okay. Boniva. <laughs> <The> osteoporosis. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we got Aquarius. They're uh. gonna have mud face, eyes stapled shut, mouth sewn shut. Leather headband and an oozing gash along the right jawline. That just sounds absolutely dreadful. Grotesque. Yes. Grotesque is the word. Y'all got a name for that? That. What was that? Uh, Y'all have a name? No. <laughs> I don't have a name for that. <laughs> Well, since I called it grotesque, we'll just call that clown Grody. 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 Okay. And finally, last but not least, is Pisces. Pisces. They're going to have shimmering aquamarine full face makeup with black veins, detailed black veins, white out contacts, indigo lips with extended corners, and a hook-shaped mouth piercing. Darley Marley, <laughs> yeah, Darley Marley, and she's hooking on 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 the pier, you know. Darley Marley, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
I hope y'all enjoyed us putting y'all all in clown face this week. And yes. we definitely we need we need after that we need a break. <laughs> yes, we do need a break. We do need a break. <laughs> All right, we are gonna take a quick break and then we will be right back. All right, we are back, and uh, good Lord, after that mess that Philip gave us, <laughs> you really and truly, you really and truly did it, Philip, but the most fun part was in between, just so, so much funny stuff happened, but we can't talk about it anyway. <laughs> anyway. Okay, when we have a behind-the-scenes version of Open Shutters. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to do a whole show of outtakes one day. <laughs> well, just record the outtakes, you know. Just keep them, just keep them going. Anyway, um, Bob is going to tell us so this is part two of the Killer Clown, John Wayne Gacy, and this is this gets really gnarly. So I'm going to warn some of our more sensitive viewers: it, there is a lot of sexual rape and uh, a lot of. Um, of crimes against minors and that kind of thing. So if that really upsets you, just enjoy our first part. If not, fuck, just listen. If you can handle it, welcome <laughs> to the second half. Right, welcome to the second half. Because our second half is always, our first half is usually really funny. Our second half is usually pretty gnarly because yeah. we have covered some really... this one's going to be really bad. Uh, this, is, this is grody. This one is, this is bad. This is really dark. All right, we're gonna, I'm going to give it over to Bob, to Bob, and he's going to tell us the story of Mr. Gacy. So thank you, Barry, Philip. So as we talked about last week, uh, John Wayne Gacy was from Illinois, and he lived yes. in Iowa for a little time, and then he came back to Illinois after yeah. his time in Iowa. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and that's at the murders of John Wayne Gacy. Now, yes. Gacy murdered at least a known 33 young men, and boys mm. but the thing about that is he buried 26 of them in the crawl space of his house now oh, picture a new Orleans house and you can picture that crawl space about two maybe three feet deep which is not very big so with that his victims included people he knew and random individuals lured from chicago's greyhound bus station <laughs> The Bug House Square. The Runaways. The yeah. With the promise of a job with his company, PDM. An offer of drink and or drugs or money for sex. Ugh. So John Wayne Gacy was offering it all up. Yeah. I mean, sounds like some of the people we know around here. <laughs> well, you know that I actually am. I am actually aged. I could have been one of his victims that I lived in Chicago. 
because I, I was just as, I mean, you saw pictures of me at that age. Yeah. I was yeah, just as tight. in Chicago at that age, you would have been a victim probably. Yeah, and and had Lance, Lance would have been real attracted to him because he liked these big guys. Yes. So, but either one of us. Definitely been his type. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so would I. I mean, back in the day, if you saw, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to post a picture of me at 19 and let the listeners decide for themselves if I would have been a John Wayne Gacy victim back then. <laughs> uh, uh, thank God I wasn't. Do that. Thank God I wasn't. Thank God I'm living to see senior citizenism. <laughs> oh, heaven. Here we go again with this. <laughs> so, uh, some victims were grabbed by force. Others were conned into believing John Wayne Gacy, who often carried a sheriff's deputy's badge and a spotlight in his black Oldsmobile. They believed he was a cop. Yeah. So Gacy usually lured his victims while they were alone to his house. Although on more than one occasion, Gacy also had what he called doubles, two victims in the same evening. Oh. Inside Gacy's home, his usual modus operandi was to ply a youth with drink, drugs, or generally gain his trust. Jeez he would then produce Christ. a pair of handcuffs to, and I quote, show a magic trick. Sometimes as part of a clowning oh. routine, he typically cuffed his own hands behind his back, then certain I can't say that word. Then miraculously, we'll use that word. <laughs> miraculously. Miraculously released himself with the key, which he had hidden between his fingers. Oh, so he wants to be a magician instead of a clown. Look, um, well, he's, he wants to be a circus person. <laughs> He wants to be a circus person. He's definitely a garbage person, but he wants to be a circus person. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a garbage. He was he was garbage so, person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he typically cuffed his hands, like I was saying, behind his back, and then released himself with the key. Ugh. And he offered to show his victims how to release themselves with the handcuffs without the key. Well. With his victims handcuffed and unable to free themselves, Gacy then made a statement to the effect that this trick is, you have to have the key. Gacy oh, referred to this God. act of restraining what his victims as the handcuff trick. Having restrained his victims, Gacy proceeded to rape and torture his captives. He frequently began by sitting or straddling himself above the victim's chest before forcing the victim to give him an oral sex. Oh, God. It's so, so sick. Yeah. Mm. Casey then inflicted acts of torture, including burning with cigars, <sighs> making his captives imitate a horse as he mm. sat on their back and pulled on their makeshift reins around their necks in violation with foreign objects such as dildos, prescription bottles after he had sodomized his oh, captive. God. You, oh, you know what? After this, I'm going to have to binge it like an entire season of Mother and Family. But then again, there's Fisbo the Clown on there. I still think Eric Stone Street would be great to play John Gateway and Gacy. I would agree. You know, Cam from, from Modern Family. What would you think, Philip? Oh, he could do it. Yeah, especially since he already, he's actually was a clown. And he's got that Fisbo <laughs> character. It looks like one of Gacy's clowns. You know? Yeah. Oh, God. So, you know... In order to immobilize his captives even more, Gacy, Gacy used to frequently manacle their ankles to a two-by-four with handcuffs attached to each mm. end, an act inspired by the Houston mass murders. Oh, I remember those, too. I remember the Houston mass murders. Throughout their continued abuse, and uh, dragged or forced several victims to crawl into the bathroom 
where he partly drowned them in the bathtub before repeatedly reviving them. Oh, my God. Enabling him to continue his sexual assaults. Oh, my God. So oh. When a victim That's had pled to be killed as opposed to continuing to endure torture, Gacy would make a statement to the fact that he would kill his victims when he was ready. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's just... It, it's... Phil, were you getting ready to say something? I was about to say, at this point, he just turned. There was no coming back from this. Like, he yeah. mentally just became so psychopathic it was or, or sociopathic there was no turning back exactly and you know it, it even with this it gets worse oh internet connection is unstable uh did you hear philip bob i didn't hear did. philip oh it, no, it's I me did. it's my own internet i did uh now Gacy typically murdered his victims by placing rope tourniquets around their necks before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle. He referred oh. to this act as the rope trick, frequently informing his captives, this is the last trick. In so at least one instance, he had read part of Psalms 23 as he tightened the rope around his victim's oh. neck. Occasionally, no. the victim had convulsed for an hour or two. Oh, jeez. Although several victims died by asphyxiation with cloth gag stuffed deep in their throats. Except for his final two victims, all were murdered between 3 and 6 a.m. After death, Gacy usually stored the victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before buying his victims, I'm sorry, before burying his victims in the crawlspace where he periodically poured quicklime to hasten the decomposition of his victims. If all his victims' be bodies were taken to his garage and embalmed prior to their burial. Now, what I want to say is, if all the people in New Orleans about the crawl space, if any of you live in a shotgun house, that's your crawl space. That's a, it was like he was buried them under the house. In houses that in, in Chicago like that, they actually had basements that had a little bit what they called the crawl space, too. But in New Orleans here, it's the that's where that Frank's father was buried under in the crawl space. Now, especially in houses up there in Chicago, in this time and age, the crawl space was also the septic tank. Oh. Yeah, it could be flooded. Ew. <laughs> so oh, because fuck. they didn't have any septic tanks in the city. So they used the crawl space area to flood the septic tanks. And we'll talk about police investigations having to drain the septic. Oh, um, you know, the only they were able to get in and look for the bodies. The only saving grace about that with the victims is that they were dead. And then, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, if y'all can see God. Bill's face right now, you'd see the, the disgust we on his face. Getting hungry, but I think after this, I done lost my appetite. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm going to have nightmares from this shit. We got we to gotta watch, like, light comedy. I mean, the I watch. horoscopes was rough at times. No, this is just real life. Yeah, we got to watch. Maybe even bothering family, but we might have to watch I Love Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> I Love Lucy or maybe uh, Andy Griffith's show, huh? Or the, the Honeymooners. That's a good one. Damn musicals to sing along or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, not The Wizard of Oz. That's actually a little on the dark side itself. But uh, yeah. maybe... Maybe meet me in St. Louis, you know. That's a good Judy Garland movie. That would be a good palate cleanser. <laughs> a spoonful of sugar at this point, okay? Yeah. Now, Gacy's first victim 
His murder occurred January 3rd, 1972, according to Gacy's later, late, later account. Following a family party on the evening of January 2nd, he decided to drive to the Civic Center in the Loop to view a display of eye sculptures in the early hours of the following morning. He then oh. lured a 16-year-old named Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was returning from a Christmas vacation in Michigan to his father's home in Omaha, Nebraska. Casey took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago and then drove him to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus in the next morning. Yeah, I heard of him doing that. He was simply known as the Greyhound Bus Boy. Casey's claimed he woke up early the following morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom doorway with a kitchen knife in his hand. Gacy jumped from his bed, and McCoy raised both arms in a gesture of surrender, lifting the knife upward and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. Oh. Now Gacy twisted the knife from McCoy's it wrist, and all this is according to Gacy's statements later after he was arrested, right. tried, and convicted. Yeah. Now Gacy said he twisted the knife from McCoy's wrist, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against his wardrobe, and walked toward him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling him over. Gacy grabbed McCoy, motherfucker, I'll kill you. He then wrestled McCoy to the ground, stabbed him repeatedly in the chest as he straddled him. As McCoy lay dying, Gacy claimed he washed the knife in the bathroom, then went to his kitchen and saw an open carton of eggs and a slab of unsliced bacon on his kitchen table. McCoy had also set the table for two. He had walked into Gacy's room to wake him while absentmindedly carrying the kitchen knife in his hand. Yeah. Gacy carried oh. McCoy in his crawlspace and later covered his grave with a layer of concrete. And this was his first victim? years later after his arrest, Gacy said that immediately after killing McCoy, he felt totally drained. Yet noticed, noted that as he stabbed McCoy, and as he listened to the gurgulations and gasping for air that he experienced, a mind-numbing orgasm. Oh, oh, God. That's when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill. Oh, God. So that was his first victim. That was his first victim. It kind of turned out like an accident. He 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 thought the boy was there to kill him, and he was. It was almost like it would have been considered self defense if the if the guy actually was going to kill him. Exactly, it wasn't self defense, but, but the guy was actually just making him breakfast and came in with a knife and. Which is really really sad. It just shows how far gone Gacy was because Gacy wanted somebody. He wanted somebody to show him some kind of affection back and he almost had that and but his mind had it just went that far but he didn't uh. now Ugh. not long after that about a year Gacy said the second time he committed murder was around January 1974 <sighs> this victim remains unidentified to this day Gacy strangled him and then places the body in his closet before burial he later stated that bodily fluids leaked from the victim's mouth and nose, staining his carpet. As a result, Gacy then regularly stuffed cloth rags, the victim's own underwear, or a sock mm. in the mouth of subsequent victims to prevent such a leakage from occurring. Oh, man. On July 31st, 1975, John Butkovich, Butkovich, an 18-year-old PDM employee from Lombard, disappeared. Butkovich's car was found near a parking area at the corner of Sheridan and Lawrence with his jacket and wallet inside and the key still in the ignition. Oh. Now, days before, Bukovic had confronted Gacy over a two-week outstanding back pay. 
Jesus. Kovacic's father, a Yugoslav immigrant called Gacy, who claimed he was unhappy, he was happy to help in the search for his son, but was sorry Bukovic had run away. In Castle, oh, God. John Wayne Gacy said Bukovic and two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise and all three had left. Oh, so, man. over the following three years, Bukovic's parents called police more than a hundred times, urging them to investigate John Wayne Gacy. You know, this reminds me of Phil, do you remember? Admitted to encountering Bukovic exiting his car at the corner of West Lawrence Avenue, waving to attract his attention. <clears throat> John Wayne Gacy, Bukovic approached his car saying, I want to talk to you. Gacy invited him into his car, then invited him back to his home, ostensibly to settle the issue of his overdue wages. At his home, Gacy offered him a drink, then conned him into allowing his wrist to be cuffed behind his back. Oh, the game's for later wrist confessed to having sat on the kid's chest for a while. Oh, he strangled him. Now he stowed <sighs> this child's body in his garage, intending to bury the body later in the crawl space. But, unfortunately, his wife and stepdaughters returned home earlier than expected. Oh, John wow. Wayne Gacy buried Bukovic's body under the concrete floor of the tool room extension of his garage in an empty space where he had initially intended to dig a drain line. Oh, Lord. Philip, you remember when we did William Bonin? It's This is a similar yeah. type of situation. This is, yeah, William Bonin was bad, but this is like... This is, I mean, I didn't think that we could, that we could be topped, but... This does it. Oh, this is, yeah. this is, this is... This is just ungodly. And this it's is just number horrible. two. Yeah. So, you know, mm. in addition to being the year, in addition to being the year his business expanded, John Wayne Gacy freely admitted in 1975 that it was his beginning to increase the frequency of his excursions for sex with young men. He often referred to these songs as cruising. Gacy committed most of his murders between 76 and 78 as he largely lived alone following his divorce. He later referred to these years as his cruising years. Now, changes in his behavior after his divorce in 1976 forced neighbors to start to notice. This included seeing him keeping company with young males, hearing his car arrive and depart in early hours of the morning, and seeing lights in the home switch on and off in the early hours. One neighbor later recalled that for several years, the sound of muffled, high-pitched screaming, shouting, and crying had repeatedly wakened her and her son in the early morning hours. She identified the sounds as emanating from a house adjacent to theirs on West Somerdale Avenue. Oh, God. Now, one month after his divorce was finalized in 1976, Casey abducted and murdered 18-year-old Daryl Sampson. He was later seen. He was last seen alive in Chicago on April 6, 1976. Casey buried him under the dining room with a section of cloth lodged in his throat. Five weeks later, on the afternoon of May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Reffitt disappeared shortly after returning to his uptown home from a dental appointment. Mm. He was last seen Aww. by his grandmother later that afternoon. Hours after Reffitt was last seen by his family, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked home from his sister's apartment. He and Reffitt were first close acquaintances. Both were found buried together in the crawl space, and investigators believe the two were murdered the same evening. Uh, yeah, like with William Bonin. I think it was it William Bonin that they picked up that kid that was going to Disneyland. Yeah. Oh. This kid was coming yeah. from his dental appointment. Uh. Yeah. 
Yeah, on thank June you. 3rd of nineteen seventy six, Gacy killed a seventeen year old Lakeview teenager named Michael Bonnet. He disappeared while traveling from Chicago to Waukegan. Or Waukegan, I'm sorry, I'm not from the north, so I don't know how to pronounce these cities' names. Uh Gacy strangled Bonin with a ligature and buried him under the spare bedroom crawl space. Ten days later, Gacy murdered a 16-year-old uptown youth named William Carroll and buried him in a common grave in the crawl space. Carroll seems to have been the first of four victims known to have been murdered between June 13th and August 6th, 1976. Mm-hmm. They were between 16 and 17 years old, and one unidentified murder victim appears to have been an adult. Now, on August 5th, a 16-year-old Minnesota youth named James Hakinson is last known to have phoned his family, possibly from Gacy's home. Hakinson died of suffocation. His body was buried in the crawlspace beneath the body of the 17-year-old Benzenville youth named Rick Johnston, who was last seen alive on August 6th. Gacy is thought to have murdered two further unidentified males between August and October in 1976. Um. On October 24th, Gacy abducted and killed teenage friends Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. The two were later seen, were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street in Chicago. Two days later, a 19-year-old construction worker, William Bundy, disappeared after informing his family he was to attend a party. Bundy died of suffocation. Gacy buried the body beneath his master bedroom. So his his victims had the names of other, some of his victims had the names of other serial killers, like Bonin and Bundy. Oh wow! And, you know, it's it's just like you were talking about the kid that possibly called from Gacy's house just today with the caller ID. They would have got him. Exactly. You know. Today, this wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened though. But it's there's things that would happen today that wouldn't have happened then. Like a lot of these exactly. internet murders, you know. Yes. Which we'll we'll touch on that at another time. Yeah. We'll do a show on that one. <laughs> so, oh, Phil, if you could see, if y'all could see Philip right now, yeah, he's turning he's green. Like, I'm just trying to take it all in, and, and and at this point, it's like, okay, his methods of how he's killing them is all over the map. It's like he's just looking for that release, and the sad point is, is that he never really gets it, or it's never sustained enough for him. And and then that's the sad point is is he he married this death with this sexual release and that is like like the worst case scenario of what Gacy did in his mind. Yeah. It's not gonna ever be fulfilled. So what he's doing is going on this insane spree to fulfill to continually get that back, and it's just that's why he's picking up the pace. Yeah. He's yeah. in the- well, that's common that a lot of serial killers do that. Constantly, but they, it takes they, more and more just to get it. And, 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 you know, they have a cooling off period, they, they, what they call it. But every time the cooling off period gets shorter and shorter and shorter, like you'll have some of them, they'll be two, go two years between killings, and then it'll be 18 months, and then it'll be a year, and then it'll be six months. And before you know it, they're doing one every every week. Well, and it's and it, you find this is really bad when they do merge that sexual release with the killing. It's even it's even more so a problem. And a lot, you know, they take they a lot of them take um, use that you know take souvenirs. I think in his case, he just keeping the bodies as his souvenirs. Yes. I wonder yeah, how many times he visited that crawl space. 
Well, yeah, because he's thick. At least monthly. Yeah. Well, and that's where he still hoped that they were with him. I think what's part of it is, is I think there's a, I know this is going to sound weird. Even though he enjoyed them dying, I think there was like a point where he wishes they would have came back in his mind. Also, he could do yeah. it all. I know it's so totally sick, but that's where I think his head might have been. Well, you said it, there's nothing about this story that's not weird. You said, I know this is going to sound weird. But no, <laughs> It have been what was this going story. on. But not like we don't see that with other killers. But with him, I think there was this hope that they'd come back. He knew they weren't, so Well, Ted Bundy used to he used to put makeup and fix and comb their hair and everything. And then he would he would dump them. He would visit the dump site. He would go visit the body. Because he, he would wash their hair and, and put makeup on them and everything. And then he would dump them somewhere. And before they were found, he would go visit them. Ooh. Maybe even had sex with the bodies. I think he was necrophiliac. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. So, but the no, sad point, between... not going to reanimate it. You killed them, John and Casey. They're not coming back. <laughs> They're not coming back. They're not coming no. back. Now, between November and December 1976, Gacy murdered a 21-year-old named Francis Alexander. His last contact with his family was a phone call. I just told you about that. No, I didn't. It was a phone call made to his mother sometime in November. Alexander was buried in the crawl space beneath, beneath the room Gacy used as his home office. In December 1976, another PD employee of Gacy's 17-year-old Brady Godzik disappeared. His girlfriend last saw him outside her house after he had driven her home following a date. Godzik. Oh. Had worked for PDM for less than three weeks before he disappeared. He had informed his family that Gacy had had him dig trenches some kind of or some kind of drain tiles in his crawl space. Godzik's car was later found abandoned in Niles, Illinois. His parents and older sister Eugenia contacted Gacy about Godzik's disappearance. Gacy claimed that he had run away from home, having indicated before that he wished to do so. Gacy also claimed to have received an answering machine message from Godzik shortly after he disappeared. But when asked if he could play it back, Gacy said he had erased it. Now, on January yeah. 20th, 1977, Gacy lured 17-year-old John Sizzik to his house on the pretext of buying his Plymouth satellite. He later confessed to strangling Sizzik in the space in the spare bedroom, claiming Rossi was asleep in the house the following morning. Gacy later oh. sold the car to Rossi for three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars for a car. Wow. Year old Michigan native named John Prestige disappeared. Prestige was last seen leaving a near North Side restaurant. He was buried in the crawl space above the body mm. of Francis Alexander. Shortly before his disappearance, Prestige had mentioned he was he had obtained work with a local contractor. Gacy murdered an additional unidentified youth and buried him in the crawl space. In the spring or early summer of 1977, the exact time of this murder is unknown. But on July 5th, Gacy murdered a 19-year-old from Crystal Lake, Illinois, Matthew Bauman. Bauman's mother last saw him at a suburban train station where mm. he had intended to travel to Harwood Heights for a scheduled court appointment, appointment regarding an unpaid traffic ticket. The following morning, Rossi was arrested for stealing gasoline while driving Sezik's car. The gas station attendant noted the license plate and police traced the car to Gacy's house. When questioned, 
Gacy told officers that Sizik had sold the car to him in February, saying he needed money to leave town. A check of the then confirmed the car had belonged to Sizik. Police did not pursue the matter further, although they did inform Sizik's mother that her son had sold her his car. Mm. Now, wow. by the end of 1977, it is known that Gacy had murdered six more young men between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these victims was 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, the son of a Chicago police sergeant lasting alive on September 15th. Mm. Gilroy lived just four blocks from Gacy's house. He was murdered and buried in the crawl space. On September 12th, Gacy had flown to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to supervise a remodeling project and did not return to Chicago until September 16th. Because Gacy is known to have been in another state at the time Gilroy was last seen, this is cited to support Gacy's claim of assistance from one or more acquaintances in several homicides. Ten days after Gilroy was last seen, 19-year-old former U.S. Marine John Mowry disappeared after leaving his mother's home to walk to his apartment. Gacy strangled Mowry and buried his body uh. in the master bedroom. Yeah, if y'all could see Philip and Barry's faces right now, you'd understand this is getting worse and worse by the moment. This is as gnarly as... I mean, this is just... Next week, we got to do a movie review. Yeah. We're going to keep it a little lighter next week. We're going to all this darkness. I mean, at this point, I mean, we're just looking at he was in his own mental world, mental state, spiraled down. Like, there was no sense of reality anymore. No. This was his reality. The killing. He created pleasure out of it. Created hellscape. For these guys that he was bringing them in, like he, he, he was getting whatever sexual enjoyment, but he was creating this little world in his mind. Yes. Oh. Was. Now, on October seventeenth, twenty-one-year-old Michigan native, Minnesota native Russell Nelson disappeared. He was last seen outside a Chicago bar. Nelson was looking for contracting work. Gacy murdered him and buried him beneath the guest bedroom. Less than four weeks later, Gacy murdered a 16-year-old Kalamazoo teenager named Robert Winch and buried him in the crawl space also. Mm. On November 18th, 20-year-old father of one, Tommy Bowling, disappeared after leaving a Chicago bar. Three weeks after the murder of Tommy Bowling, on December 9th, a 19-year-old U.S. Marine, David Palsma, disappeared after informing his mother he was to attend a rock concert in Hammond, Indiana. Gacy strangled Palsma with a ligature and buried him in the crawlspace close to the body of John Mowry. On December 30th, Gacy abducted 19-year-old student Robert Dowley from a Chicago bus stop at gunpoint. Gacy drove him to his home where he raped, tortured, and repeatedly dunked Donnelly's head into a bathtub until he passed out. Gacy taunted him with statements such as, aren't we playing fun games tonight? Donnelly later testified at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to kill him. Oh, my God. I'm getting around to it. After several hours, Gacy drove Donnelly to his workplace and released him, warning him that if he complained to the police, they wouldn't believe him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Lord. And you know what? I was feeling sorry for him last week when we, you know, about how his dad treated him. I do not feel sorry for him at all anymore. So this last one you just talked about did survive. The last one did survive, 19-year-old uh, Robert Donnelly from Chicago. So he was, let him go. He let him go. You caught, the, you caught the key in that, right, though, was because he asked to be killed. Yeah. So the was, boy 
took away that moment of it broke the I don't know the, the middle or whatever Daisy had going on. Yeah. You know, is that the R1, the older man that was talking? Oh, it was interviewed on the uh, his, his, the so. uh, yes, the episode. So. Yeah, the, the, uh, there's a documentary. It's a docu series about this, and that's one of the things we watched and researched for this. And um, there, there was a man talking that had escaped from him. Oh, wow. that was the same guy. I believe this, it was. that was him. Yeah. Now. In 1978, Donnelly reported the assault and police questioned Gacy on January 6th. Gacy admitted to having a sex slave relationship with Donnelly, but insisted everything was consensual, adding that he didn't pay the kid the money he had promised him. The police believed him and filed no charges. The following month, Gacy killed 19-year-old William Kindred, who disappeared on February 16th after telling his fiance, who knew Gacy, that he was spend the evening in a bar. Kindred was the final victim oh. Gacy buried in this crawl space. Now, on March 21st, Gacy lured 26-year-old Jeffrey Ringall into his car. Shortly after Ringall entered the car, Gacy chloroformed him and drove him to his house, where his arms and head were restrained in a pillory device oh, affixed God. to the ceiling and his feet locked into another device. Gacy explained oh. to Ringall that he had completed control over him and that he intended to do whatever he wanted to him, when he wanted and how he wanted. He then oh raped and tortured Ringall with various instruments, including lights, candles, and whips. Mm. He chloroformed him into unconsciousness. Casey then drove Ringall to Chicago's Lincoln Park, where he was dumped, unconscious, Jesus but alive. Christ. You know, I was just thinking, this actually, I was just thinking that this actually could have been a three-parter, but I don't know if I'm going to put our listeners through another episode of this. Exactly. So, I mean, this is the weird thing for me. I mean, and, and some people are going to be like, why am I bringing this up? But we have to also look at the time in which this happened. The 70s. Okay. The 70s. Society was not as open. No. And I'm not trying to blame society to a level, but in, in a way, what I'm trying to get at is I don't know if this would happen today. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. I'm not saying that murders can happen and stuff. But I wonder if John Wayne Gacy grew up in a society that was more accepting, that he might not have been more accepting of himself. He might not have educated himself on S&M, and he might not have actually been able to have a decent sexual relationship. But because of his father, because of the society he lived in, the time in which he lived in, it created this monster. It's and, and I, uh, it's possible, and I feel because because there is a thing where I think he want he's on the outset he wanted an S and M sexual relationship. Now it got as time went on in his mind he turned it into something else. It's one of the reasons why people always talk about communication and education in S and M, so you don't turn into something like this because some people can easily turn into. A murderous monster if they're not checked you know well where we are right now this man is just past any kind of so help on, there's no there's been no checks on that the, like i said that like the society made him feel like whatever so in his mind he's continuing to do this and he will continue to do this and yeah. now regal managed to stagger to his girlfriend's apartment police were informed uh, informed of the assault but did not investigate john wayne gacy Ringall was able to recall though through the haze that 
of that night, the Oldsmobile, the Kennedy Expressway, and particular side streets. He and two friends staked out the Cumberland exit of the expressway, and in April, Ringall saw the Oldsmobile, which he and his friends followed to 8213 West Somerdale. Police obtained an arrest warrant, and Gacy was arrested on July 15th. He faced trial for, trial for battery against Ringall. But by 1978, the crawl space had no room for further bodies. Gacy later confessed uh. to police that he had considered storing bodies in his attic initially, but had been worried about the complications from a leakage. Therefore, uh. he chose to dispose of his victims off the I-55 bridge into the Plains River. Gacy stated he had thrown five bodies into this river in 1978, one of which he believed had landed on a passing barge. Only four bodies were ever recovered. Oh, so oh, yeah, he's worried. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, he's not worried about you know, like this is somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody, you know. No, it's he's the, worried about fucking leakage. Yeah, it's <laughs> like the reality of the leakage is affecting this little scenario, this little, little horrifying setup that he's that he's got going. And, and, and you know, it, it's just it, it's inconvenient for him. There might be leakage. It's. That just uh, that's just a oh God. I don't I, I, I don't even I can't even fathom. I can't even fathom. Which is why I'm saying there is a progression that has happened. There's this. Remember we talked about last week about how his father was like ingrained all these things yeah. about getting what is yours and all of that. Well, he yeah. twisted that into this way of where now we're seeing there is not one ounce of compassion left really much. In John Wayne Gacy, it's just utter selfishness of what can I do to get what I got in the moment, and what do I need to make that happen? Look, look, he already defines certain things in his environment as, you know, like when you say, okay, I got to go to the supermarket to get meat. I go to the deli, right? Or I go to the butcher. Right. So, so yeah. he's realizing, okay, in order to get my victims, I got to act like this is just a regular errand. I got to go to a bus stop. I got to go to the train stop. I got to go to um, so he's already set up these mental patterns to create this world. Yeah, and so so these boys were like a package of steak. You know how we say we don't want to see what goes on in the slaughterhouse. We want to believe that meat just comes <laughs> packaged in saran wrap. You know? <laughs> because if we find out where it's really from, we probably won't eat it again. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the first known victim thrown from the I-55 bridge into the Plains River was 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke. He was murdered in mid-June after leaving his Dover Street apartment to purchase cigarettes. Shortly mm -hmm. before his disappearance, O'Rourke told his roommates the contractor on the northwest side had offered him a job. On November 4th, Gacy killed 19-year-old Frank Langland. Landingen. I think I said that right. Landingen. His naked body was found close to an inlet in the Desplaines River by two dump duck hunters in Chanahoun on November 12th. Oh, December 24th, the 20-year-old Elmwood Park resident, James Mazara, disappeared after sharing Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Mazara had informed his sister the day prior to his disappearance that he was working in the construction industry and doing all right. He was last seen alive walking in the direction of Birdhouse Square, carrying a suitcase. Now, on the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy visited the Nissan Pharmacy in Des Plaines, Illinois, oh. to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store on a failed tour. 
While there, he was in within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peist. Casey mentioned oh, his firm often hired teenage boys at a starting salary of $5 per hour, almost double what Peist was being paid at the pharmacy. Shortly after that, Gacy left the pharmacy. Pice's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so the family could celebrate her birthday together. Pice asked his mother oh. to wait, adding that some contractor wants to talk to me about a job. He left the store around 9 o'clock, promising to return shortly. Pice mm. was murdered shortly before 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Gacy mm. later stated that at his house, he asked Pice whether there was anything he would do, wouldn't do for the right price. To which Pice replied that he didn't mind working hard. In response, uh -huh. Gacy stated good money could be earned by hustling. Although Aww. Pice was dismissive. Gacy then dumped Pice into donning handcuffs before saying, I'm going to rape you. And you can't do anything about it. As Pice began uh -huh. weeping, he said that as he placed the rope around Pice's neck, the boy was crying and scared. Aww. Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Pice lay dying suffocating on the floor of his bedroom. God. Yeah. Now, um, police started to investigate Gacy after Pice failed to return. Well, they started to investigate the missing person with the displaced police department. Torf named Gacy as the contractor Pice was most likely talking to in the store. Lieutenant Joseph Kozinczak, whose son attended Maine West High School with Pice, chose to investigate Gacy further. Having spoken with Pice's mother on the morning of December 12th, Kozenzak became convinced Pice had not run away from home, as was believed. Oh. Routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had served the prison sentence in Iowa for sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. Now, the lieutenant from the Displaced mm. Police Department and two other officers visited Gacy as his home the following evening. Gacy indicated that he had seen the two youth working at a pharmacy and that he had asked one of them, whom he believed to be Pice, whether there was any remodeling material behind the store. Gacy was adamant, however, that he had not offered Pice a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. as he had left his apartment appointment book at the store. Now, Gacy promised to come to the police station later that evening to make a statement confirming this indicating he was unable to do so at the moment as his uncle had just died. Mm. When questioned as to how soon he could come to the police station, he responded, You guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Now at 3.21 a.m., Gacy arrived at the police station covered in mud, claiming he had been involved in a car accident. On returning the police station to the police station later that day, Gacy denied any involvement in Pice's disappearance and repeated that he had not offered him a job. When asked why he had returned to the pharmacy, Gacy reiterated that he had done so in response to a phone call from Torf informing him that he had left his appointment book at the store. Detectives had already spoken to the pharmacy owner, who denied calling Gacy. At the request of detectives, Gacy prepared a written statement detailing his movements on December 11. Now, police I obtained a search warrant for Gacy's plane's home. The search warrant this search warrant search of Gacy's property revealed several suspicious items, including several police badges and a six millimeter Beretta startle starter pistol inside an office drawer. Syringe mm. and hypodermic needles inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Investigators also found handcuffs, several books on homosexuality and pedestrian 
pedestry with titles such as The Great White Swallow and Pretty Boys Must Die. Oh, Seven God. pornographic films, capsules of amyl nitrate, and an 18-inch dildo in Gacy's bedroom. A 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottoms of valium and atropine, and several driver's licenses were found in the northwest bedroom. A blue hooded parka was found atop a toolbox inside the laundry room, and underwear too small to fit Gacy was located inside a bathroom closet. Mm. Now, in the northwest bedroom, investigators found a class of 1975 Maine West High School ring engaged with the initials JAS. Investigators also recovered a Nissan pharmacy photo receipt from a trash can alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. Uh, you know, this is the first time I think that I've ever actually started crying during the show. I uh, just, when you were describing how that kid was crying and, and I, I, and I remember one, one thing he had, he was crying for his mother and, and a case like that, he's 15 years old, you know, and he's still, he's still a baby. Still a boy. He's, yeah. you know, he's, um, he's, he's, uh, and then five dollars an hour. I remember those those days. Five dollars an hour was a lot of money. That would be like offering somebody thirty dollars an hour today. Yeah. And this, you know, this kid's gone. I mean, I, I can I can remember being a teenage boy in that era, that exact era. And I can imagine if some man was paying that kind of money and I was working at a store, they could do something an hour, I would have gone after it. Exactly. And you go to this guy's house thinking he's going to give you a job, and and he puts you through this this hell, hell, hell. I mean this 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 torture, this this it, 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 it's just it's monstrous. Monsters and nightmares is what he was putting. It's in. like it's like it's like he a horror movie. A nightmare, yes. It was. It, I know it was worse than a horror movie because a horror movie, you know, it's not real and it's like I. It, I'm, I'm trying to sit here. You know how, like, most of the time I can sit one of these cases. I can be like, oh, this is what was mentally going on. This is. I'm sitting here. I'm like, I see what's really going on, but we're dealing with such a. Like, what had happened? He had devolved into such a monster at a point. We're. It's like a reality. You, he had no sense yeah. of reality before, John Wayne Gacy. And these exactly. poor young men were being brought into this world that. Of Gacy's that wasn't even Gacy wasn't even there. Gacy lost all humanity at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was just like you know, um, he had just crossed over into the totally into the dark side, and there was no saving him. And there was nothing that could be done for him. Yeah. Not that you would want anybody that could be that cruel. Just the cruelty of it all. I think is what's getting to me is the fact that anybody could be that cruel, a poor, a kid, somebody's son that you never, never did you anything. I mean, it's not like this kid was being obnoxious and drunk and, you know, this was just a kid looking for a job. Exactly. All he wanted to do was make money. He wanted to make money because he probably wanted to buy himself a car. Probably. You know, he was probably getting ready to get his license. Yeah, because that was the first thing I wanted. I wanted when I when I when I came of age, when I, the the first thing I wanted 
when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, was a car. If yeah. I would have got somebody would have given me several thousand dollars, that's what I would have bought. I would have bought a car. And it's probably what he wanted, you know. It's probably what we were saving for. He might have been going to college soon, you know. Because when you go to college, you want to have transportation, and you know, kids and cars are, are, are status symbols, you know. Exactly. Especially at that age. Yeah, that age. Yeah, I mean, you got to be my age. It's transportation, and my <laughs> yeah. This is you know, like like okay, this is my forever car. I want something dependable. But at that age. You want something cool, you know. You want the Trans Am or the Corvette or the Mustang or the muscle car, you know. Oh God, this is just now, so good. The Displains police confiscated Gacy's Oldsmobile and other PDM work vehicles. Police assigned a two-man, two two-man surveillance teams to monitor Gacy on a rotational twelve-hour basis as they continued their investigations into his background and potential involvement in the Pice disappearance. These surveillance teams consisted of officers Mike Albertchett and David Hockmeister and Ronald Robinson and Robert Schultz. The following day, investigators received a phone call from Michael Rossi, who informed the investigators of Gregory Godzik's disappearance and the fact that another PDM employee, Charles Hatula, had been found drowned in an Illinois River earlier that year. On December 15th, displaying investigators, further details into Gacy's battery charge, learning the complainant, Jeffrey Ringall, Ringnall, had reported that Gacy had lured him into his car, then chloroformed, raped, and tortured him into dumping, tortured him before dumping him with several mm. severe chest and facial burns and rectal bleeding in Lincoln Park the following morning. In an interview with Gacy's former wife that same day, they learned of the disappearance of John Bakovich. Same day, the Maine West High School ring was traced to a John Allen Sizzik. An investigator with Sizzik's mother, an interview, sorry, with Sizzik's mother revealed that several items from her son's apartment were also missing, including a Motorola television set. <laughs> now, by December 16th, Gacy was becoming affable with surveillance detectives, regularly inviting them to join him for meals and restaurants and occasionally for drinks and bars or at his home. Now, he repeatedly denied that he had anything to do with Heist's disappearance and accused the officers of harassing him because of his political connections or because of his recreational drug use. Knowing these officers were unlikely to arrest him for anything trivial, he taunted them by flouting traffic laws and succeeded in losing his pursuers more than once. Now the afternoon of December 16th, Graham consented to a police interview in which he described Gacy's hardworking lifestyle and open-minded attitude about sex between men. Graham also revealed that, because of his poor timekeeping, Gacy had once given him a watch, explaining he got it from a dead person. Ugh. Ugh. Investigators conducted a formal interview of Rossi on December 17th. He informed them Gacy had sold Sizek's vehicle to him, explaining that he had bought the car from Sizek because he needed money to move to California. Further examination of Gacy's Oldsmobile was conducted on this date. In the course of examining the trunk of the car, investigators discovered a small cluster of fibers they suspected to be human hair. That evening, officers conducted tests using three trained German Shepherd search dogs to determine whether Pice had been present in any of Gacy's vehicles. <clears throat> One dog approached Gacy's Oldsmobile and lay on the passenger seat in what the dog handlers informed investigators was a death reaction indicating Pice's body had been present in the vehicle. 
Oh my god. That evening, Gacy invited Detectives Albrecht and Hockmeister to a restaurant for a meal. In the early hours of December 18th, he invited them into another restaurant where, over breakfast, he talked of his business, his marriages, and his activities as a registered clown. At one point during the conversation, Gacy remarked, You know, clowns can get away with murder. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, by December 18th, Gacy was beginning to display signs of strain from the constant surveillance. He was unshaven, looked tired, appeared anxious, and was drinking heavily. On the afternoon of December 18th, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the Des Plaines Police Department, demanding that they cease their surveillance. The same day, the serial number of the Nissan photo pharmacy, pharmacy photo receipt found in Gacy's kitchen was traced to a 17-year-old, Kimberly Byers, a colleague of Pice at Nissan Pharmacy. Byers admitted when confront, contacted in person the following day that she had worn the jacket on December 11th to shield herself from the cold as she worked in the front cash register near the doors. She had placed the receipt in the Parker jacket just before she gave the coat back to Pice as he left the store that evening, claiming a contractor wanted to speak to him about employment. Oh, the statement gosh. contradicted what John Wayne Gacy previously told police about Robert Pison not having any contact with him on December 11th. That same evening, Rossi was interviewed a second time. This time, he was more cooperative. He informed detectives that in the summer of 1977, at Gacy's behest, he had spread 10 bags of lime in the crawl space of Gacy's home. December 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant for the Gacy home. That same day, Gacy's lawyers filed the civil suit against the displays police. The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd. That afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside his home yet again. As Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with conversation, Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom mm. in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola television they suspected belonged to John Sizek. While flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed the smell he had suspected, he mm. suspected, could be that of rotting corpses emanating from a heating duct. Oh, God. The officer who had searched Gacy's house previously failed to notice this, as the house had been cold. Investigators interviewed both Cram and Rossi on December 20th. Rossi had agreed to be interviewed in relation to his possible links with John Sizek as well as the disappearance of Robert Pice. When questioned by Cousin Chat as to where he believed Gacy had concealed Pice's body, Rossi replied, Gacy may have placed the body in the crawl space, adding that he thought Sizek's car was stolen. Rossi agreed to submit to a polygraph test, where he denied any involvement in Pice's disappearance, also denying any knowledge of his whereabouts. Mm. He soon refused to continue the questioning, mm. and Rossi's erratic and inconsistent responses to questions while attached to the polygraph machine rendered him unable to render a definite opinion as to the truthfulness of Rossi's answers. Now, <sighs> excuse me, Rossi did, however, further discuss the trench digging he did in the crawl space and remarked on Gacy's insistence that he not deviate from where he was instructed to dig. Now, Cram informed investigators of Gacy's attempt to rape him in 1976. He stated that after he and Gacy had returned to his home on December 13, 1976, oh, I'm sorry, that after investigators returned to the home on December 13th, Gacy had turned pale after seeing a clot of mud on his carpet, which he suspected had come from his crawl space. 
Graham said Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, Graham replied he had been once, but asked by Gacy to spread lime down there, and he had uh, also dug trenches, which Gacy had explained were for drainage pipes. Oh, Graham stated those trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep, the size of graves. Now, on the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a scheduled meeting, ostensibly to discuss the progress of his civil suit against the Des Plaines Police Department. On his arrival, Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic beverage, whereupon Sam Aramanti, Amaranti fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car. Upon his return, Amaranti asked Gacy what he had to discuss with him. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from his lawyer's desk, went into a front-page article covering the disappearance of Robert Pice, and said, this boy is dead. He's dead. He's in a river. Gacy then proceeded to give a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing his lawyer and Stevens he had been the the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people. Oh God! That he now wanted to be the same, wanted to be the same for himself. He told his lawyers that he buried most of his victims in the crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in the Plains River. Oh man! Casey dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars, to whom he gave the rope trick, adding he sometimes awoke to find dead, strangled kids on his floor, with their hands cuffed behind their back. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed they were his property. Oh my God! Yeah, that is, those those were his trophies, the bodies. No. no. Now, as a result of the alcohol he had consumed, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession. His lawyer immediately <laughs> arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at nine the following morning. Awakening several hours later, Gacy shook his head when informed by his lawyers he had confessed to killing approximately thirty people saying, well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice, which is not smart. No. Writing the scheduled appointment with the psychiatrist, Gacy left their office to attend to the needs of his business. Now, Gacy later recollected his memories of his final day of freedom as being hazy, adding his new, he knew his race was inevitable and that he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. Oh. After leaving his office, lawyer's office, Gacy drove to a gas station where, in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of cannabis to the attendant, who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers, adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming for me. These guys mm-hmm. are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to the home of a fellow contractor and friend, Ronald Rode. Gacy hugged Rode before bursting into tears and saying, I've been a bad boy. I killed 30 people, give or take a few. A bad boy. He's been a bad boy. Yeah. He's been a bad boy. Oh, <laughs> wow. That is the understatement of the year. Understatement of the deck of the fucking millennia. Of the fucking uh, history of time. Yeah. Now, Gacy left the road and drove to Cram's home to meet with Cram and Rossi. As he drove along the expressway, the surveillance officers noticed he was holding a rosary to his chin. Praying while he drove. Oh, I, I want to know something. Any good now. 
<laughs> why does this guy get to go around and say goodbye to all his friends? That poor boy didn't get to go say goodbye oh. to his family. None of those no. boys got to go go around and say goodbye to anybody. Why does he get to go around and say goodbye to everybody? Yeah. He should have just been immediately incarcerated. Yes. Immediately. And that's why I literally think laws have changed since then. There's no reason he should have been let go with the amount of No. Evidence. Never. Once now, he made all those confessions, he should have at least gone on trial. So what yeah. happened with his court? Well, we're getting to that. We're not okay. there yet. <laughs> oh, God. There's more? <laughs> oh, unfortunately, there is. Oh, God. So This is a long episode, too. talking with Cram and Rossi, Gacy had Cram drive into a scheduled meeting with his lawyer, Leroy Stevens, on the northwest side. As Gacy spoke with Stevens, Graham informed the surveillance officers that Gacy had told him and Rossi that he had confessed over 30 murders with his lawyers the previous evening. Gacy then had Graham drive him to the Mar Mary Hill Cemetery, where his father was buried. Mm. Oh, he gets Gacy to say goodbye to his father, That morning, police outlined the formal draft of their search and search warrant, specifically the search for the body of Robert Pice in the Carl space of his home. On hearing of, from the surveillance detectives that, in light of his erratic behavior, Gacy might be about to, about to commit suicide, police decided to arrest him on a charge of possession and distribution of cannabis in order to hold him in custody as the formal request for a second search warrant was presented. At 4.30 p.m. on December 21st, the eve of the hearing of Gacy's civil suit, Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the request for a second search warrant. After Peter, after police informed Gacy of their intentions to search his crawl space for the body of Robert Price, Gacy denied the teenage was buried there, but confessed to having killed in self-defense a young man whose body was buried under his garage. Self-defense. Armed with a sir, signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drove to Gacy's home. <laughs> Excuse me. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his sump pump, flooding the crawl space with water. To clear it, they simply replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After it done so, evidence technician Daniel Ginty entered the 28 by 38 foot crawl space, crawled to the southwest area and began digging. Within minutes, he uncovered putrefied flesh and human arm bone. Ginty <sighs> immediately shouted the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. A police photographer then dug in the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a patella. The two then began digging in the southeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. Mm. The victims were too decomposed to be ticed. As the body dis body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed, a crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside that body. Later excavations of the feet of a second victim revealed a further skull beneath the body. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed discovering the rib cage of a fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming the skill of the murders. Oh, my God. Yeah. Now, after being informed that the police had found human remains in his crawl space and that he would now face murder charges, Gacy told officers he wanted to clear the air, adding he had known his arrest, arrest was inevitable since the previous evening, which he had spent mm. on the couch of his lawyer's yeah. office. In the early morning hours of December 22nd and in the presence of his lawyer, Gacy provided a formal statement in which he confessed to murdering approximately 30 young men 
all of whom he claimed had entered his house willingly. Some victims were referred to by name. Casey claimed not to know or remember most of the names. He claimed all were male, teenage male runaways or male prostitutes, the majority of whom he had buried in his crawl space. Jesus Christ. Casey claimed to have dug only five of the victims' graves in, the loca- in this location, and his employees, including Gregory Godzik, dig the remaining trenches so that he would have more graves available. One victim hailed from Round Lake, another from a Michigan native. When a shown driver, when shown a driver's license issued to Robert Haston, which had been found on this property, Gacy claimed not to know him, but admitted that this license had been in the possession of one of his victims. When January, in January 1979, he planned to conceal the corpses even further by covering the entire crawl space with concrete. When questioned specifically about Robert Pice, Gacy confessed to luring him to his house and strangling him on the evening of December 11, 1978. He also admitted to having slept alongside Pice's body that evening before disposing of the corpse in the Desplaines River in the early morning hours of December 13th. On his way to the police station, he had been in a minor traffic accident after disposing of Pice. His vehicles had slid off an ice-covered road and had to be towed from its location. Accompanied, yeah. Accompanied by police, his lawyers, and his older sister, Gacy was driven to the I-55 bridge on December 23rd to pinpoint the precise spot where he confessed to having thrown the body of Robert Pice and four other victims into the Desplaines River. Gacy was then taken to his house and instructed to mark his garage floor with orange spray paint to show where he had buried the individual he had supposedly killed in self-defense whom he named John Butkovich. To assist officers in their search for the victims buried beneath the house, during his confession, Gacy drew a rough diagram of his basement on a phone message sheet to indicate where the bodies were buried. Twenty-six bodies were, not, were unearthed from Gacy's crawl space over the next week. Three more were also unearthed elsewhere on his property. Cook County Medical Examiner Robert Stein supervised the exhumations. Each victim on her unearthed from the crawlspace was placed in a body bag, which was placed near the front door awaiting transportation to the mortuary. The crawlspace was marked in sections, and each body was given an identifying number. The first body recovered from the crawlspace was assigned a marker denoting the victim as body number one. Casey had buried this victim in the northeast section of the crawlspace directly beneath the room he used as his office. No cause of death could be determined. The body of John Bukovich was later labeled as body two. On December 23rd, investigators returned to unearth the three corpses, which had been buried in the same trench as bodies one. Body three was buried in the crawl space above body four. Alongside them, body five was buried directly beneath body number one. The victim's victim was buried 36 inches below the surface of the soil, indicating he was the first descendant to be buried in this common grave. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Four more bodies were unearthed on December 26th. Bodies number six and seven were buried in the same grave. Body seven was found in the fetal position. A cloth gag was found in the mouth, leading investigators to conclude this victim most likely died of asphyxiation. Body number eight was found with a tourniquet used to strangle him, still knotted around his neck. Body nine was found beneath a layer of concrete. 
was found to have several stab wounds to the ribs and sternum, suggesting he was Gacy's first victim. Uh. On December 27th, eight more bodies were discovered. Yes, eight more. Oh. Eight more bodies. And there's pictures of this crawl space online if you do want to see it, but I don't recommend oh, it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you say, I don't know. And they were, um, uh, now, how 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 nine, how explicit? Bodies, were bodies twenty through through twenty six. How how is uh, Barry, in a common how grave located the photo? Kitchen and laundry room. Body twenty five was beneath. How explicit are the photos? Found directly beneath this kitchen. Operations were suspended due to the Chicago blizzards of nineteen twenty nine, but resumed in March despite Gacy's insistence that all the buried victims had been found. On March 9th, body 28 was found wrapped with several plastic bags and buried beneath the patio approximately 15 feet from the barbecue pit in Gacy's backyard. On March 16, 1979, body 29 was found beneath the dining room floor. All the victims discovered at 8213 West Summerdale were in an advanced state of decomposition. Dental records and x-ray charts helped Stein identify the remains. Wow. 23 victims were identified via the dental records, with two further victims identified via skeletal trauma. These mm. identifications were also supported with personal artifacts found in Gacy's home. The oh, head and upper torsos of several bodies unearthed beneath Gacy's property had been placed into plastic bags. Several were also found with a rope still attached to their necks. In some cases, bodies were found with foreign objects, such as prescription bottles lodged in their pelvic region position of which indicated the items had been thrust into the victim's rear area. Stein concluded oh, 12 victims recovered from Gacy's property died not of strangulation, but of asphyxiation. Gacy's vacant house was demolished in April 1979. 1978? Now, the victim That's found six miles downstream from the I-55 bridge on June 30th was not connected initially to Gacy. In January 1979, this victim was identified using fingerprint records as a distinctive and a distinctive tattoo on his left forearm, reading Tim Lee, an homage to Bruce Lee, as Timothy O'Rourke. An autopsy was unable to rule out strangulation as the cause of death. This victim was number 31. Following mm. Gacy's arrest, investigators discovered he was he was a further victim. Frank Langdon's cause of death was certified as a at autopsy as suspicion through his own underwear being lodged down his throat, lugging his airway and effectively causing him to drown on his own bomb. He was assigned victim number 32. Oh my God. December 28th, one further body linked to Gacy was found one mile from the I-55 bridge over the Plains River. This wow. victim was identified as James Mazzara, whom Gacy mm. confessed to having murdered shortly before Thanksgiving. Shortly after my Thanksgiving. God. He had been strangled with a liquor tree. On April 9, April 9, 1979, a man walking along Grundy, Grundy County Town towpath, sorry, discovered a decomposed body entangled in exposed roots on the edge of the Slains River. The body was identified via dental records as being that of Robert Height. The same oh, woman. they finally found the poor baby. A subsequent oh. autopsy revealed that three wads of paper-like material had been shoved down his throat while he was still alive, causing him to suffer. Oh, thank God. Okay, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> well, and luckily, that's all of these stories about 
the man who John Wayne Gacy murdered. Now, John Wayne Gacy was brought to trial on February 6, 1980, charged with 33 counts of capital murder. He was tried in Cook County, Illinois, before Judge Louis Garofalo. The jury was selected from Rockford because of the extensive press coverage there in Cook County. Yeah. Now, Gacy spent over 300 hours with doctors at Minard Correctional Center in Chester the year before his trial. He underwent a variety of psychological tests for a panel of psychiatrists to determine whether he was mentally competent to stand his trial. Gacy attempted to convince the doctors that he had multiple personality disorder. Oh, yeah. Bad, bad Jack. Oh, yeah. Multiple personality. Good Jack. Contributing that to the Jekyll and Hyde characters. Three psychiatrists, experts at Gacy's trial testified they had found him to be a paranoid schizophrenic with MPD, multi-personality disorder. Now, the prosecutors presented the case that Gacy was sane and in full control of his actions. To support this contention, they produced several witnesses to testify at the premeditation of Gacy's actions and the effect he took to escape detection. Those doctors refuted the defense doctor's claims of multiple personality and insanity. On February 18th, Robert Stein testified that all the bodies recovered from Gacy's property were markedly decomposed and putrefied, petrified skeletal remains, and that of all the autopsies he performed, 13 victims had died of asphyxiation, six of literature strangulation, one of multiple stab wounds to the chest, mm. and 10 in undetermined ways. And Gacy's defense <laughs> seems suggested that all 33 deaths were caused by accidental erotic asphyxiation. Stein called this highly improbable. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, this is just, <laughs> this is a long episode and it's just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Ringall testified on behalf of the defense on February 21st, recounting his ordeal. Ringall wept repeatedly when describing Gacy's torture of him in March 1978. Asked whether Gacy appreciated the criminality of his actions, Rignall said he believed that Gacy was unable to conform his actions to the law's expectations because of the beastly and animalistic ways he attacked me. Yeah. In specific cross-examination yeah. related to the torture, Ringall vomited and was excused from further testimony. On December 29th, Donald Voorhees, whom Gacy sexually assaulted in 1967 in Iowa, testified to his ordeal at Gacy's hands and his subsequent attempts to dissuade him from testifying by paying another youth to spray mace in his face and beat him. Or he's felt unable to testify, but did briefly attempt to do so before being asked to step down. Robert Donnelly testified the week after Voorhees, recounting his ordeal at Gacy's hands in December of 1977. Donnelly was visibly distressed as he recalled the abuse he endured and came close to breaking down several times. As Donnelly testified, Gacy repeatedly laughed at him. Donnelly finished his testimony. During Donnelly's cross-examination, one of Gacy's defense attorneys, Robert Mata, attempted to discredit his testimony, but Donnelly didn't waver from his testimony of what had happened. During the fifth week of trial, Gacy wrote a personal letter to Judge Garofalo, requesting a mistrial for reasons including that he did not approve of his lawyer's insanity plea, that his lawyers had not allowed him to take the witness stand, as he had wanted to, that his defense had not called enough medical witnesses and that the police were lying with regard to verbal statements he had allegedly made to detectives after his arrest, and that, in any event, the statements were self-serving for use by the prosecution. 
Does Garapio address Gacy's letter by informing him that both counsels had not been denied the opportunity to, or funds to summon expert witnesses to testify? And that mm. under, under Illinois law, he had the choice whether he wished to testify and was free to indicate as much to the judge if he wished to do so. On March 11th, final arguments by prosecution and defense attorneys began. They concluded the following day. Now, at the close of arguments, defense attorney, or I'm sorry, prosecuting attorney Rob Kunkel removed photos of Gacy's 22 identified victims from a display board and asked the jury not to show sympathy, but to show justice. Kunkel then asked the jury to show the same sympathy this man showed when he took these lives and put them there. Before throwing the stack of photos into the opening of the trapdoor in Gacy's crawl space, which had been introduced as evidence and was on display in the courtroom. After Kunkel had finished his testimony, the jury retired to consider the verdict. The jury just deliberated for less than two hours and found Gacy guilty of 33 charges of murder. He was also found guilty of sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with a child, both convictions in reference to Robert Pikes. At the time, his conviction for 33 murders was the most for which any person in U.S. history had been convicted. Wow. In the sentencing phase of the trial, the jury deliberated for more than two hours before sentencing Gacy to death for each murder committed after the Good. Illinois statute on capital punishment came into effect in June 1977. Yeah, I, the execution was set for June 2nd, 1980. You know, I, I, I have mixed feelings about the death penalty and everything. That, but in this case, he deserved, no, he deserved he, all he, of it. He deserved yeah. the death penalty. 33 times over on this one. Yeah, you just can't kill somebody 33 times. That's the only problem. Oh, oh God, as I listened to this, this was so much. Um, there's so much. This. Okay. Um, there's more. Wait, there can't be too much more. This is too long as it is. On being sentenced, Gacy was transferred to Minyard Correctional Facility where he remained incarcerated for on death row for 14 years. Before his trial, Gacy initiated contact with WLS-TV journalist Russ Ewing, to whom he granted numerous interviews between 1979 and 1981. Oh, I remember this. I saw a movie about this. So, Gacy did appeal his convictions. In mid-1984, the Supreme Court of Illinois upheld Gacy's conviction and ordered his execution by lethal injection for November 14, 1984. Gacy filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court on March 4th of 1985. The following year, Gacy also filed further post-conviction petitions and requests for new trials. Post-conviction requests were denied September 11, 1986. Gacy appealed the 1985 decision that he be executed to the Illinois Supreme Court, but yet they upheld his conviction on September 29, 1988 setting new execution, execution date of January 11, 1989. After the Supreme Court denied Gacy's final appeal in October of 1993, the Illinois Supreme Court finally set an execution date for May 10, 1994. On the morning of May 9, 1994, Gacy was transferred from Minyard Correctional Facility to Statesville Correctional Facility in Crestville, Illinois, to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. Mm. His last meal, Gacy ordered a bucket of KFC, a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, strawberries, and a Diet Coke. He would that be KFC. He a prayer with the Catholic priest before being escorted to the Statesville Execution Chamber to receive the lethal injection. 
Now, before the execution began, chemicals used to affect the execution solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV tube used to administer the chemicals into Gacy's arm, complicating the procedure. Now, anesthesiologists explained this problem on the prison's officials and experience at conducting executions, saying that had correct execution procedures been followed, the complications would never have occurred. This error apparently led to Illinois adopting an alternative method of lethal execution. On this subject, one prosecutor at Gacy's trial, William Kunkel, said he got a much easier death than his other any of his victims. That's right, he did. Yeah, like According yeah, to published records. Gacy yeah. was a diagnosed psychopath. He did not express any remorse for his crimes. No. His final spoken words were, "Kiss my ass." Oh fuck him! Hours leading up to his execution, a crowd of over a thousand people gathered. Many wearing T-shirts and bringing signs that said "No tears for the clown." Now, Casey was confirmed dead at 12:58 a.m. on May 10, 1994. Oh, his brain Lord. was removed. It is currently in the possession of Helen Morrison, a witness for the defense at Gacy's trial, who has interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate she, common personality traits of wait, violent sociopaths. She has his, body his brain? Well, yeah, they're trying to find... She the, has his brain? The yes. study, they're preserving the brains, hopefully, to eventually... Yeah, to, yeah. Oh, I don't know if I, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh. Well, no, I, with that because that's actually important for uh, criminal psychiatry and oh, things Lord. this has been this is a wild ride and this yeah. is just especially for my first episode yeah well that was actually it's your second it's your first case well, but it's your second my first episode. case yeah anyway um oh god Oof. that has that's going so long that we gotta wrap things up right now so we do anything any last thoughts from anybody I don't know how I can add to this. I I can't. I'm just glad the fuckers can't hurt nobody else. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All righty. So next week we are doing something light. We're going to do a movie next week. Yeah. So we, you know, we, uh, we, I think uh, Philip wants to do Winchester. I think that that would be, I think it's a horror movie, but it's not nearly the horror of this. And Helen Mirren's in it, you know. So we got a Helen Mirren movie coming up. Anyway, you can follow us on Twitter at a shothers. The uh, the uh, Instagram is at Open Shothers Podcast. Our Facebook is Open Shothers. Uh, uh, the official page for Open Shothers, a creepy podcast. Oh, uh, we uh, our email is Open Shothers at yahoo.com. I want to thank Philip and I want to thank Bob both. We're doing such a great job with this case, especially Bob. You really and truly, it must have been really fucked oh, yeah. to yeah, have to research yeah. this. It was, oh, I don't even want to talk about it. I need a palate cleanser from this. We need a palate cleanser. We, we need to watch, we need to watch like two seasons of I Love Lucy to get through yeah. this. <laughs> so until next week, enjoy the view from the open shutters. But don't fall out the window. Unless you're John Gacy. Oh yeah, John Gacy could fall right. John Gacy could fall into the river of 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 of, of snot. <laughs> All righty, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>